So should preaching be passionate? Uh, should the preacher impassionately deliver his sermons? Sermons should not be an excruciatingly painful experience for either the preacher or the hearer. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever preached a sermon that bored even you? Uh, have you ever looked up from your notes after they have forsaken you and you see that only you and like three other people are even listening? Have you ever listened to a sermon that felt like torture? You know, the kind of sermon where you wonder if the preacher knows that we would all rather watch a turtle run a race than to watch him try to finish that speech. And on the other hand, what makes an hour-long sermon feel like 20 minutes? What is happening when in our delivery, we're like a professional ice skater while our congregation looks at us and hangs on to every word? What's happening in that kind of sermon when not even an infant would dare to cough? <laughs> I think what makes a difference is an impassioned delivery versus something that sounds like an AI-generated address. You know, the right words are there, the content is there, but something feels off, something sounds inhuman about it. Uh, I love preaching to preachers. It is one of my favorite things. And I love preaching to preachers because we all get it. Uh, we all know what it's like to be preaching a sermon that you hate. Uh, your face feels red. You can't believe this is still happening. You look down and you are on page three of 10 and you wish it was over, but it's not over. You have to stand there while everybody watches you and you push your way through it. I love preaching to people who get that experience. Uh, because I think it ranks at the worst thing you can experience. Uh, today, I want to encourage us to preach with passion. I want to encourage us to preach with passion uh, for our own joy, for our congregation's joy, but much more than that, I want to encourage you to preach with passion for the glory of God, so that not only in our content, but also in our delivery, that everything would be aimed at the highest and best reason that exists on planet Earth, which is that God would be known for as glorious as he really is. Uh, our text is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I have three points to the sermon, and I want to give you a fair warning about how to listen to this sermon. Uh, point one and point three are about probably five minutes apiece. And point two is the real meat. Uh, I say this for your encouragement, so when we get through point two and you hear there's another point coming, you know that the plane has already begun its descent. Uh, point one is the summons to passionate preaching. Point two is the strategies for passionate preaching. And point three is the source of passionate preaching. Let me pray for us. Father God, we ask you to help us see glorious things from your word that you would inspire us to give absolutely everything we have when we get to stand before your people and open up our mouths to speak of your glory and wonder. We ask you in Christ's name, amen. 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, 
rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, the summons to passionate preaching. You hear the very serious and sober call. I think this language is pretty unusual for the Apostle Paul. You see in verse one, he charges us in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom to preach the word. This is a special charge. Uh, it's a charge, a sobering charge for Timothy to not forget or grow weary in his task. And so what kind of preaching is Paul talking about? It's a kind of preaching that is appropriate in light of God's glory, of Jesus' exaltation, of his final return, and the end of time. It is a preaching that we will not be ashamed of on that day. Have you ever done something half-heartedly? Your wife asks you to do something, you kind of quickly do it, you don't think much of it, and then she comes to see what you did and your face falls because you're embarrassed by your lack of effort. Paul means that we would preach the word of God with all we have, to do, we, to do the best that we can in each address so that we will not be ashamed on that day. Imagine preparing a sermon half-heartedly. It's a busy week, you don't have much time, you put it together, you're standing there, and your favorite living preacher happens to show up in your church that day. How you would have wished that you had spent more time preparing. And that is actually nothing compared to what happens every single Sunday we preach because God is there. Paul means a preaching that we give our all to, preaching that doesn't change. It doesn't get more excited when it's Easter Sunday. It doesn't get more excited when the room is full or when the room feels cavernous. But when we give our all, in those seasons when our churches feel empty and the pews more bare, we give it our all. It's a charge to preach in such a way that we will not be embarrassed. Uh, point two is strategies. The big point. How do we preach passionately? And by this, I mean, how do you give it your all in the pulpit? Uh, in this sermon, we're looking at how we preach the words we say on Sunday morning and how we express those words on Sunday. And I think this opens the door to a lot of misunderstandings. So I'm gonna give us five cautions before we get into the strategies. Here's caution number one. Human eloquence cannot save sinners or spiritually build up the church. So I am not promoting underhanded ways of preaching the gospel. I'm not encouraging you to emotionally manipulate your congregations. Only God can save sinners. And only God has the power to sanctify his people into the image of Christ. The voice of the preacher, no matter how bad, never stands in the way of God to save, convict, or give life. And therefore, we should not leave this room feeling more confident in ourselves to preach. But we should be moved to preach as well as we possibly can based on the confidence that God alone saves sinners, God alone builds up the church, and he uses his preached word to do that. Caution two. Therefore, the most important part of our sermons is the content 
of the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is so significantly more important than how we speak. What we are heralds of is far more important than how we herald. We can speak well, but have nothing to give. You can give an impassioned speech that has no eternal value. And it would be better for you to shut your mouth forever than to preach impassionately about nothing. If we speak well, but we do not speak of Christ and his substitutionary death, his justifying resurrection, and his victorious ascension, then it would be better, preacher, if we would cut out our tongues today and throw them in a river. And if we speak poorly, with much stuttering and stumbling, but we speak of Jesus Christ as the only way for sinners to be made right with God, and we point to him who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, you will be crowned with glory when you die. Caution three, passion is expressed differently, and there is no one standard we hold up. Uh, We are all different. Some of us, quite frankly, will not be able to implement everything or much of what I'm about to say. And like in our younger days, when you were on the t-ball team and you had your first game and the coach pulls everybody aside and he says, children, today it matters not whether we win or lose, but how you play the game. Uh, That advice is not all wrong. I'm encouraging you to put your all into your preaching. And the careful thing to note there is to put your all into it. Whatever you got in here, get it out of your mouth for the glory of God. And if your shout is like another man's whisper, don't worry about it. You push yourself and don't fall into the deadly trap of comparison. Caution four, you may be easily discouraged and this sermon is about to feel like a series of condemnations to you. I think that many of you are preaching every week with your all. And it's often the most diligent who feel the most guilty when they should feel encouraged. So dear preacher who gives it your all week in and week out, I want you to be encouraged. The Lord sees your labor and he loves you and he loves your labor. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged to grow, but I pray that you would not be dismayed when you ought to be encouraged. And caution five, uh, you may also be on the lazy side of preaching and you're about to hear all of these cautions as removing any sense of conviction you should feel as the sermon goes on. And to you, I say, beware of this. There are many lazy preachers. If you listen to some random sermon from some random church, most likely it's a bad sermon. There are a lot of lazy preachers who instead of thinking hard and praying much, rush to put a sermon together. Their application looks like artificial light uh, rather than application that has been thought hard about from the text and how it bears on us or application that comes from someone who was fed by that truth in a dark night of the soul. And they rush to put out application like, do you really believe this? Or application like, imagine if we as a church all put this into practice today. I mean in this sermon to describe a kind of preaching that doesn't even sound real to a lazy preacher. I aim to preach in such a way today that if a lazy preacher is hearing this description of preaching, they would know that they're in the wrong profession. 
because what I'm describing doesn't sound like what they do. There's the cautions. Uh, since I completed the internship at Capital Baptist Church this fall, I have nine strategies to give you. <laughs> These strategies are but a few tools to add to your belt. This is not a normal exposition. We're not going to be expositing this particular text. I'm going to give you nine strategies that can help you preach with passion. Sometimes I will pull from the text. Other times I won't. Uh, and I think the best way for you to listen to this sermon is to not feel like you need to jot down every single thing I say. There's going to be a lot of them. I think the best thing is just listen, one or two, or maybe three hits you. I would jot those down and try to put them into practice, but do not feel pressure to implement every single one. And I realize it's so bold to have five cautions and now nine points with a third point coming, uh, but this is what we're going to do. Strategy number one is define passionate preaching. We should know what we're aiming at before we take a shot. What is passionate or impassioned preaching? What image comes to your mind when you hear that? I see John Piper. He's tiny, but he's got a huge voice. He's animated and loud. You can see the emotion in his face, and you can sense his excitement and his conviction in the flapping of his wings. And that certainly is passionate preaching. And that's the way that John Piper does it. Uh, this is what I mean. Passion is like strength. A passion takes on many different forms, even though we might usually think of it one way. So what do you think of when you think of strong? You know, I see this guy on some California beach who's working out. Uh, he's got a tiny little uh, shirt on. His muscles are spilling out. He looks like a circus act uh, who cannot scratch his back. His arms are huge. That's what you kind of think of when you think of strength. But a woman who gives birth is strong. And a child who endures childhood abuse is strong. And the child shouldn't feel bad that he doesn't have big biceps. And the woman should not feel bad that she can't bench press an elephant. And the bench presser shouldn't feel bad that he can't run a marathon. They have strength. Strength takes on many different forms. It doesn't always look the same. And the same is true of passion. It takes on different forms. Passionate preaching or impassioned delivery is the throwing of your whole self into your speaking. Passionate preaching is the employing of your voice, expressing your affection, speaking in a way that sounds like you believe what you're saying speaking in a way that sounds like you have tasted and experienced what you're talking about. And you do all of that for the singular purpose that through your speaking, your hearers might not only understand what you have said, but be moved by how you said it. So they grasp the importance or the value or the beauty or the goodness or the seriousness of, of what you have said in their very souls. Uh, passionate preaching moves us to want to move others. Passionate preaching is the employment of your whole self into your speaking. Your humor, your personality, your hand motions and facial expressions and volume and emotion and physical strength into your speaking so that your hearers understand what has been said and are moved by the way that you expressed it 
to hold that truth in their soul as dearly as it has been preached. And so that takes on a lot of forms. Uh, some of us are loud. For some, our faces are like windows into our hearts, and people can see our affection in our facial expression and eyebrow movement. Some of our faces are like stone carvings that don't often change. Some move our hands, some walk around, some have mastered the whisper. And some of us can't quiet down. But all of us need to give all of us into our sermons for the glory of God. The God who gave his son to save us from our sin and our deserving his punishment and to give us a message to preach with our bodies and our souls. So that's the task. That's one, define the task. Uh, strategy two is to evaluate yourself. How do you express emotion? I think preaching is the most wild work out there. Uh, because to preach is not just to be able to speak and communicate in a way that people can understand what you mean, which is hard, but in your speaking, to show how you believe what you're saying. So how do you do that? Uh, what is that like for you? How do you show excitement, joy, sorrow, or seriousness? I remember listening to a sermon recently, and the preacher had this inflection that he kept on repeating over and over and over again. Uh, it would be like riding a very uncreative and very long roller coaster. So no sudden bursts of speed, no turns, no loops, just kind of up and down these gentle rolling hills over and over and over again. But then the preacher gave a personal story and suddenly his voice changed. There was turns, there was loops, there was bursts of speed. He went from sounding like a human trying to copy a robot when he was on his notes to sounding like a real person when he told the story. And the whole church was glued to every word that he said when he was telling the story. So you should evaluate yourselves. The goal is to speak naturally as you should sound. Uh, figure out how you express emotion and conviction. Ask your wife, ask some elders. I think one reason this story is helpful about the uncreative roller coaster is it wasn't that the preacher couldn't speak in a way that was more compelling and natural. It's just that he got stuck in this certain mode of speaking when he was on his notes. Natural speech is the key. Uh, how do you get there? I think, preacher, maybe you should just take up less notes. Uh, maybe the more notes you have, the more it kind of sounds like you're reading from a page. And maybe you should try to use more illustrations to make your points. So like that preacher told a personal story and nailed it, just knocked it out of the park. Are you good at illustrations? So as we're thinking of passionate preaching, would it be more in your ability to come up with a thoughtful illustration than to try to express yourself with volume or voice or emotion? If that's you, uh, here's what you could do this week. Come up with 20 different illustrations for your sermon. So get a piece of paper, write down all your points, write down as many illustrations as you could think of for those points and pick the, the top five and use them. And for encouragement, don't worry about elaborate illustrations. Illustrations that are like one or two sentences are totally fine. Uh, here's an example. Trusting in your own righteousness to be saved is like training as hard as you can for team tryouts. Uh, the team tryout is coming, so you practice as hard as you can to be the best field goal kicker, but you know that you are trying out for a spot on the bowling league. 
trying to be righteous before God by your own efforts is all energy put in the wrong direction. Or consider this. I think Richard Sibbs is really good at just like one or two sentences. Here's one from Sibbs. Like a foolish patient, chewing the pills which we should swallow down. We dwell too much upon the grief when we should remove the soul to a higher place. So just figure out how you express passion, emotion, conviction, and push yourself. Uh, Strategy three is getting feedback, not just for prep, but for preaching. Honest feedback goes a really long way. Uh, Do you have anyone in your life who will talk honestly with you about your preaching? Do you have anyone in your life who knows enough about preaching and delivery and you to give you good feedback? I got a couple, but I also know the people that I shouldn't talk to. Uh, Some people don't know much about preaching and think any halfway decent sermon was the best thing they've ever heard. Uh, So eight days ago, uh, not yesterday, but eight days ago, I preached a bad sermon. And my brother, who is a recent convert, thinks that I'm like the absolute best uh, preacher in the world. And I come down from that bad sermon that I know is bad. Face was red at page three, painfully pushed through the whole thing. uh, And he said to me that that was the best sermon that he's ever heard. But my good friend, the faithful Ethan, said to me afterwards, there's two scales, uh, a scale from one to 10 on faithfulness to the text, you got a 10. On the other scale, for good delivery and arrangement, uh, you got a five. Get good feedback and ask yourself the question, I'll let the couples discuss this among themselves, is your wife a reliable guide for feedback to you? Strategy four. Always be ready. Uh, You see this in the text. Be ready in season and out of season in verse two. What do you do on your off time? Always be ready. For preachers, there isn't really any off time. And if we use our time away from our study and away from our pulpits, engaged in activities that deaden our souls to the glory of Christ, it will affect how we preach. If you treat preaching like a nine to five job, then you will preach like a hired hand rather than a faithful shepherd. Preaching isn't seasonal work to be picked up and put down. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need time off. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take time off. I'm just saying we should be really careful with how we use our time off. And yes, there are seasons where our time off might look different. Uh, You preacher today might be in a very dark season and ministry might be incredibly painful for you. And it is all that you can do to take care of the demands of your church to prepare a sermon and then just absolutely crash for the weekend until Sunday morning and you put your mind at ease with light entertainment because you are too fatigued to even pick up a Puritan paperback and read it. And those seasons are very real. And that preacher does not need to feel bad in that moment, but that preacher needs to hold on, keep pressing on, ask for help from other brothers, and put his hope in God. But when it isn't a dark season, What do you do when you are away from your pulpit and study? Do you read things that are good for your soul or do you waste your mind away with things that are garbage? How we use our time off affects our time in. 
Strategy five is addressing our people with patience. Notice the verbs in verse two. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Uh, All of those words imply that we're preaching to people. Our sermons should have a point to them so that our people know how to respond in light of them. To be rebuked implies that some action or belief was challenged and the proper alternative given. You know what this means? Our sermons and our preaching ought to persuade our people towards some certain end or goal. If you had to classify what kind of speech a sermon is, a sermon is a persuasive speech. It is calling people to believe or do or find comfort or trust in something. And I think one reason that so many sermons are so dull is that the preacher doesn't even know why he's speaking. Brothers, we have not been set aside to fill up time on Sunday morning, but to plead with our people that they remember Christ. We are set apart to plead with those who are headed to hell that they would understand the gospel. So do your sermons have a point to them? How will you impassionately call people to anything if you have no something to call them to? So if you preach yesterday, which I think is about at least 30% of this room, what was the main thing you were asking and seeking to persuade your people to do or to believe yesterday? And notice that our, when we preach, we should sound like Jesus with complete patience. A passionate sermon is not a scolding sermon. Expressing frustration or mockery of your people is not passion. We should aim to teach our people with complete patience. So if you've been preaching in the same place for years, your cumulative years of preaching should sound like years of patience. Strategy six is sound teaching. You see this in verse three. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Paul's charge is like us to give sound teaching while people will endure it. That seems to be his reasoning. If they endure sound teaching now, give them as much as they can handle because they won't always. But he also doesn't say preach something different when they don't. Keep preaching sound teaching even then. Our content should be sound teaching, teaching that is whole and consistently true with what the Bible teaches. And therefore our preaching should come from texts that we preach. Uh, I'm not gonna argue for expositional preaching in this room. Uh, Dave just said that one of the distinctives of, of, of pillar is live exposition. I'll say just this, to preach passionately and to preach with conviction is to have sermons that come from the Bible. Fight the urge to interject your own thoughts. Don't come to a text and say, uh, my people understand Romans 8.1, they've heard it a million times. What kind of new take can I have on it that will interest them? Just find ways to preach what that text is saying. Fight that urge. And here's like a good test. Can you summarize the main point of the text you're preaching in a short sentence. Uh, If you can, you're probably close to preaching. If you can't, you should sit down and keep working. Strategy number seven is to write your own sermons. This is a key strategy. 
you really can't preach in a compelling way if you're preaching someone else's point or story or sermon. I feel like I'm in a good room to make this point with very little offense or objection. But I think there's always a danger there. So my wife and I, the other day, were watching uh, this like, Q&A thing with John Piper. Uh, later that day, I was teaching Wednesday night Bible study. And when on the way home, I asked her how, she went, how it went. And she said, didn't you take that one whole thing from John Piper? We should preach our own points. <laughs> and when you write your sermon, don't say things in the same way so that you become so predictable. I wonder sometimes if our people aren't bored of the gospel, they're maybe just bored of our way of preaching it the same way every time, every week. Oh, we were made to live for God's glory and we didn't. We live for ourselves. Can you think of ways that you have been selfish this week? Oh, Jesus came to live the life that we should have, to die the death that we deserve, so that by faith and repentance, we might be forgiven and welcomed into God's family. Uh, praise God for that glorious news. But is that the way you preach it every week, every time? Why not just think on it and dwell on it? Maybe just one aspect of its detail. Why not just think of the, the stunning reality of what Jesus accomplished with just his one life? Maybe you should say to your people, you could give us a thousand lives to live and give us a thousand chances to try to get it right and live in a way that would make us righteous before God. And the absolute best case scenario of giving us thousands of lives is that we would develop technology, we would live long, we might make improvements on the world, but we would die and enter God's judgment. But Jesus, with just his one life, did what you and I could never have done even if we were given a thousand lives because he obeyed God perfectly. He never sinned. He never had an unjust evil thought. And therefore his death was not for himself. Jesus didn't deserve to die. Jesus died for us in our place so that our judgment that we deserve was placed upon him and he suffered for the wrongs that we have done so that we might be free from the condemnation that we deserve by trusting in him. Brothers, it is amazing news that deserves our full attention, our full meditation and our full immersion so that week in and week out, we would preach in a way that the gospel is never boring. Number eight, I want to give just a few remarks on the act of delivery. Uh, remember that the preaching of the word is in the preaching of the word. Uh, and what that means is that your sermon is not your manuscript. Your sermon is not your studies that week. Uh, your sermon is not the idea of the sermon in your mind. The sermon is the words that come out of your mouth on Sunday morning to the people gathered. That is the sermon. Your sermon is not finished until you have uttered the last amen. So just a few random things to consider. Eye contact is very important. The gospel is the greatest news and you need to believe it. The gospel is the greatest news and you need to believe it. You can't preach passionately if you don't have the courage to look at your people in their faces. 
uh, consider projection. I mean, I know I'm very loud. I really don't know why I'm this way. Uh, I honestly can't tell you the very the, the first thing about how you could project your voice because mine's just stuck like this. And it's wonderful right now. It's not great at home. It is an affliction for my entire family. But generally, every preacher needs to project, project a bit more. I hear you're supposed to speak with your chest. Look up. Look at the person in the way back and try to speak to him so he can hear you. You could practice in your church if you struggle with this. You know, find somebody who sit in the back row and you could just stand up and read scripture until they could hear you. But you can't preach passionately if, you, if you're not able to be heard. An emotion. I have like four words to say here. Just let it out. It's far better just to cry than to try to not cry. Consider quieting your voice. Lowering your voice is important, not just for emphasis, but I think for those of us who are louder. Uh, we do not need to break the eardrums of our people while we're preaching. I know many of us get loud when we're excitement, but our excitement should not be a physical hazard to our hearers. You should match the mood of the text. A smile when you should cry is a very strange thing to see. To smile and say, my mother's passing was the most difficult time of my life. It's so weird. And it's equally weird is the expressionless face when explaining really, really good and exciting news. Uh, you do not say to somebody, hey, you've just inherited a million dollars in order for them to feel sad or bored. Uh, likewise, we should not herald the good news of the gospel in a way that dampens the spirits of our hearers. Pausing. Uh, pausing before saying something central to your sermon is quite an effective way to draw attention. <laughs> and I have to admit that I don't know the, very, the first thing about pausing in a sermon. Uh, I rush forward with speed when I do anything, and especially when I preach. I have, I have worked hard on slowing down so that people can understand what I'm saying when I'm speaking. So all I can say about pausing is I've heard it's really effective. <laughs> and I think that R.C. Sproul was the very best at it. But something on introductions. For your very first words you speak when you have to preach, as a general rule, don't say anything that isn't about your sermon. I don't want to know your name. I want to hear your message. I don't want you to say, hey, my name's Joe. I'm on staff here at the church. Just preach. I don't want to know how you feel. I don't want to hear that you're not a very good preacher or you had a hard week or your voice isn't really that good today or that you didn't get a lot of sleep. Just preach. And I don't want to hear about how hard you worked on the sermon and much you struggled with it and you finally came to this, just start preaching. Uh, starting that way shows a lack of confidence. When I hear a preacher start like that, I just imagine a young guy who finally gets the courage to call a girl and he says, hey, how are you? I, oh, I'm good. What are you up to? 
Oh, why am I calling? Yeah, I was just, I uh, wanted to say, and like, I just want to say it. I haven't thought about it a lot. I just want to, yeah, and like, if you don't, if you don't care about this, it doesn't matter to me, but I just wanted to know if you were, if you were free on Friday. Oh, why? Because that's what I hear when a preacher gets up and talks about the weather or how crazy it is to them that Christmas is coming next week. Also, by not assuming your hearers are immediately interested in your sermon, you allow yourself to do the hard work of convincing them in the first minute to keep listening, which opens the door for you to, for them to get a sense of your passion and conviction behind what you're saying. And beware to keep the introductions short. Uh, Spurgeon says, it's always a pity to build a great porch to a little house. So good. On conclusions, I think one thing that can rob an otherwise good sermon is when the preacher does not end it well. Uh, when the preacher all of a sudden is praying and you are sitting there and you're like, okay, I guess we're about done. <laughs> or when he doesn't know how to end it. If you had a good flight with little turbulence, everything was really good on it, and the pilot said to you, hey, we're about to land and 45 minutes goes by, and you're just circling the runway, uh, you will not think of how it was otherwise a good flight. You will just think of how annoying the landing was. End your sermons with passion. End them well. You just delivered a sermon with serious points to consider. Send your hearers away with hope. End them with passion. Shortly sum up what you have said in a way that might stick with them, and end not as someone who has been defeated by his sermon but as someone who believes in the God he preached about and confidently sends his hearers away. And very briefly, number nine is don't give up after a bad sermon. Uh, you will preach duds, or at least you will preach sermons that feel like duds to you. Don't give up and don't be deflated. We are only human and we cannot handle passionately preaching all of the time. You will get tired, and that's okay. What's not okay is for you to surrender to it and stop trying. So to the preachers in the room who feel like yesterday was either mediocre or bad, uh, remember, the content of what you preach is so much more important than how it was delivered. Take heart that the word was preached, that the gospel was made clear, and get up and give it another swing. Now, third point is the source of passionate preaching. And I want you to notice where Paul goes to encourage us. Paul does not go to the importance of the task. He does not go to all that's at stake when we're in the pulpit, not with the souls of the saints or the souls of the sinners who are present, who will either enter into eternal joy or the flames of hell. Paul doesn't go to the rewards that await the preacher, either now or in the life to come. But Paul goes to God. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, he goes to Jesus' saving work where he now sits at God's right hand as the judge of the living and the dead of his future coming and the full establishment of his kingdom. He goes to God. So preacher, this is a very solemn charge and it's so hard. But the source 
is our God and what he has done for us in Jesus. And nothing, preacher, will give you passion or give you endurance to keep at it like God himself will. And we get to preach him. We get to use our mouths and our words and our emotions in a way to draw attention to him. He who sent his son to save us from our sin, to save us from our selfish pride, from our greedy and jealous thoughts, to save us from our unbelief, even our lack of believing that he uses our preaching to accomplish his work by sending his son, Jesus, the son of God, who humbled himself to be mistreated by man, the one who did nothing wrong and was all glorious and perfect to be beaten and to be rejected and to suffer the wrath of God. Not because Jesus did anything wrong, but because we did. And because he died in our place for us, we are brought into the presence of God. And at this point in time, Jesus is highly exalted. He is at God's right hand. And he's coming back to establish his kingdom. And we preachers will be evaluated by the standards of the kingdom of God and not by the standards of the kingdom of man. I think we preachers' mouths will hit the floor when we realize that it did not matter the size of our congregations or the amount of our hearers or the influence of our words. We will be shocked to see how much faithfulness to the king and faithfulness to the message of the king were the main thing. And giving it our all for him when we preach will not put us to shame. Uh, preachers, there is nothing else that we should rather do than to preach of him. Uh, dear preacher, you will be let down in so many ways. Your churches will let you down. Other friends that you have made in other churches, close pastors, might not always be with you. Your sermons will let you down. But most of all, we ourselves will let ourselves down. But we will never be let down by God. And we get to open our mouths and tell our people his excellency, his saving work, his sustaining grace. Uh, this is where we find the source of strength to give it our all in preaching for our joy and not only for our congregation's joy, but more than anything that we get to open our mouths for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, we ask you for your help, that you would be gracious and that you would, you would encourage us to consider how we might use our words in the way we speak in a way that draws attention to you and to strive to preach as well as we can for your glory. Uh, and we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.